Welcome to Beers and Buckets, the podcast for degenerates like us who like to drink beer and watch college basketball. I'm your host, Connor Caldwell. I'm joined by Dal Harmon. Dal, how you doing tonight? Good. Uh, other than we're recording at 10 o'clock, I'm going to go have to get my dad and stepmom who were supposed to fly in from Miami uh, at like 4, and now they are going to get in at like 1.20 in the morning. Uh, Fun. And I... After having been forced to dog sit for the last nine days while they went to Key West for Thanksgiving and I got stuck at home, uh, I now have to go get them at 1.30 in the morning uh, from the airport and drive them back. So I'm thrilled. Well, hopefully they brought you some souvenir, a key lime pie or something, because that sucks. And you sound yeah. a little bitter about it. So If they had a key lime pie in the car for me, everything would be forgiven. <laughs> I doubt they do, but that would that would be elite. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, we are part of the, po- the Basketball Podcast Network where you can get the latest on your favorite teams, what's happening around the NBA and NCAA. So make sure you go check them out on Twitter, follow more shows like this one. Uh, let's recap last week. Crazy week, man. Feast week was super fun. And, you know, like I said in last week's episode, we can only cover a certain amount of games because it's a lot of like invitational, which is like tournament based style. So we didn't get to preview all the matchups, but the ones that we did do were pretty fun. And, uh, man, like there were so many matchups that just went crazy, like a quadruple overtime game with Alabama and UNC. Did you watch any of that? I mean, you had like four hours of opportunity to watch some of it, I'm sure. So, no, I didn't. Not not live, at least. I was watching – what movie was I watching? I was watching some movie uh, – Oh, I was watching Snowpiercer. That's what it was, which is a great movie. Bong Joon-ho, great. Chris Evans, great. Tony Swinton, great. Anyways, I was watching it, went to check uh, Twitter, and realized that I was getting, like, tweets from 10 minutes ago about how they were going into fourth overtime. And I was like, well, that is – I'm not going to be able to watch that. Yeah. Uh, I, I caught up on it. That was crazy. That was crazy. But, like, man – I'm glad. I'm glad they don't just end it in a tie. I'm glad college basketball doesn't just end in a tie because that's just the stupidest thing ever when games end what, in a tie. What would like? So like hockey has like a penalty shootout. Soccer has penalty shootout. What would basketball's version of that be? Like uh, you just you play one on one. No, it would be free throw shooting, and you would start with your guards all the way to your centers, and whoever misses first wins. <laughs> like, the other team wins. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. <laughs> that would be really fun. We need to or, like, make, also, like, make the centers shoot, like, three-point shots, and whoever makes, like, the first to five wins. <laughs> or, ooh, ooh, ooh. You remember in the All-Star game, like, a couple years back, the NBA All-Star game, they would have, like, the men's player, the women's player, and the legend, and they would do a thing where they had to make, like, a free throw, a layup, a free throw, a three-point shot, and a half-court shot. Do that. Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. This <laughs> that seems fun. So fun. In actual news, though, basketball just needs an Elam ending. Like, these four four yeah. overtime games are super fun, so I'm down with keeping them. But the Elam ending is wonderful and should be instituted. Well, I, yeah, the – like the multitude of changes that we would make if we were college basketball commissioners, it can be way down on the list because there's a lot of shit we would change. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent, but it's still fun Four overtime game was fun. Other than 
the fact that like Armando Baycott like missed like three overtimes, but it is what it is. Um, Good, he deserves Purdue, it. Like Purdue also had a crazy week, went on a tear in the Phil Knight Invitational, yeah, ended up winning that. Insane. Like UConn had a great week. A lot of teams that we weren't really talking about the last couple of weeks kind of just emerged out of nowhere. Um, so good week for college basketball for sure. Uh, another good thing that happened for Wake Forest this week. What you tell me about that? Um, yeah, so there's this man named Tim Duncan that played for Wake Forest. He was pretty good. And, and Alondis Williams last year, also good, better than Malik Monk. Shout out to Zach and Scott. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep cut. Um, but those two players for Wake Forest, the only two players in history with a triple-double until – Cam Hildreth came out and had like I think fourteen seven and nine in the first half against um, Howard, and then they proceeded to run a couple. He ended up getting the rebounds, and they ended up cementing his triple double, so the third triple double in Wake Forest history, with a pretty sweet out of bounds play that they ran for him, so that they could get him out of the game after. Um, but he has been—he's someone that I liked a lot. Uh, he's also why my hashtag is British Luca Hive because he's he's like one of those dudes that isn't super athletic but can get really anywhere he wants on the floor because he plays weird and is strong uh, and they've really started to kind of unlock his passing whenever he can get a paint touch by himself which is really fun um, so I was excited to watch that I rewatched the game which. I like very rarely do, especially a game like against Howard, where it's yeah. like that. There was a blowout from the start. Yeah, uh, but rewatch just to be able to kind of figure out more of how he got to that triple double, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, some other news in the college basketball world is they announced that the ACC Big Ten Challenge is ending um, after what, like they said, like twenty three years. Is that correct? Yeah, it's like, been a really long time. Really? Um, 23 years, and then they're ending after this year the SEC Big 12 Challenge that happens late in like January, typically uh, after a 10-year run, I believe that's how long it's been. So um, really exciting that they also announced the ACC-SEC Challenge, and that's going to be insane. I really, really hope next year that Kentucky takes on Duke uh, because if I'm not mistaken, I think – Kentucky does not play Duke in the Champions Classic next year. Can we confirm that? I believe that is the case. Like they play Kansas, right? Because they played Michigan State this year. So they have Kansas next year and then Duke the following year. So, yeah, that'll be super fun. Um, also potential Kentucky, probably probably not, but maybe some Kentucky Wake uh, matchups. That would be fun for you, but probably not. I doubt that happens and – that would be interesting because that hasn't happened since I became a Wake fan. Uh, and I don't know how my heart would feel about that. <laughs> Correct. But uh, all around, just some good opportunities there for some good games. And I'm excited for that. Uh, and then, you know, like the Champions Classic, like we talked about, like people need to stop hating on that because it's actually, you know, really fun, especially early on in the season. Some of the bigger matchups and they have – typically just have some all around good matchups in that, in that classic anyway. So uh, like, keep that. I feel like keep Kentucky fans, Kentucky fans especially hate on it, but I think that they hate on it kind of as a way to like disregard or kind of like be mad that Cal doesn't schedule 
good home and home like non conference yeah. games. And so like they don't really have a problem with the Champions Classic, they have a problem with that and they just like project that onto the Champions yeah. Classic. Um, That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So all right, well let's move on to the week one review not week one. Last week recap is so let's go with I told you I told you so games that we seemed irrationally confident about. Um, what do you want? What are you thinking now? What were you rationally confident in last week? <laughs> Mine's a little bit of a deep cut, but it is the game that put me over the over the top in terms of uh, our last week predictions, and that's Santa Clara over Iona. I talked about how Pod was going to have a big game, and that and there's no did. way I'm betting on the 15 second man. Uh, and he had, and Podzinski had 27 and nine, and led. The Santa Clara, whatever their mascot Broncos. is. Broncos. I was going to say Gales. That's something else. That's, that's Iona. Oh, duh. Well, whatever. <laughs> they won. The Broncos won. Broncos won. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was irrationally confident in Iowa State's ability to beat Villanova last week. And more so in the fact that Villanova is just struggling. And it's kind of showing now, and I'm going to talk about them in a little bit later. But, oh, man, Iowa State actually had a decent week last week overall for a team that you thought was going to struggle. So other than last night and they played UConn, but UConn's a very hot team right now, so I don't blame them for that. Um, but, yeah, Iowa State called that one. It, they won it by two in overtime, so a little nervous there. But at the same time, they just I just knew they had it in the bag, so. All right, let's move on to Humble Pie, teams that we were definitely too low on. And this week, I was too low. Well, the, this season, I've been too low on Purdue. And we talked about them in the offseason. We talked about them in the Big Ten preview. And we were just – overall, we just thought that they a lot of their best players left and Zach Eady just doesn't get starter minutes. Turns out they're really good. Zach Eady's pretty good in getting actually better minutes. And uh, they beat Gonzaga by a lot. You know, they beat a lot of teams by a lot. 74.6%, Connor. That's how many minutes Zach Eady is getting. He's, like, far and away the leader in Ken Palm's Player of the Year rankings, which is just a, like, it's an algorithm, so it just spits out stuff. But he has, according to their, like, MVP uh, thing that, that they have on Ken Palm 2 that, just says the best player, regardless of who wins in the game. He has been the MVP of every game. He has played at least 25 minutes in every game, which let me go back and look real quick. There's one, two, three. He only played 25 or more minutes in three games last year, and 27 was his season high. And he has played in 27 or more minute, 27 or more minutes per game in the last five games, which is, like, baffling. It's almost like whenever you play someone that's really good, more minutes, it's better. Yeah, and you're going to win more games, yeah. yeah this is crazy, <laughs> crazy concept. Yeah, no, that, I was too low on them, but they're finally, I think they're they're turning things around, looking good overall. So hats off to you, Purdue, for being Purdue's. So we owe Bradley, you? I think we owe Bradley a little bit of a – <laughs> of an apology for giving him so much shit when he drafted uh, Edie in his, in his <laughs> fantasy team. It was more so that he took Nigel Pack over Isaiah Wong, but you know that I didn't say we were giving him an Mary apology Sharp. for everything. <laughs> <laughs> just, just this specific. Uh, 
Yep. Um, <laughs> team I'm too low on. See, and I have to take this one on the chin because you were not too low on them. You were super high on them. Uh, mine is UConn. Uh, they have gone from – they were 27th to start the year. They're up to 6th in Kenpon this year. They're 8-0. They have top 10 offense and defense. Um, they didn't really play a ton of strong opponents for the first five games, but then now they've rattled off a 24-point beatdown of Oregon. They beat Alabama by 15, and they beat Iowa State by – let me math real quick. 18. 18? Yeah. Like three – Double-digit wins, three double-digit wins against uh, two top 50 teams and a top 15 team. Like, that's super, super impressive. Sonogo is eighth right now in that Ken Palm Player of the Year ranking. Um, they, I mean, they've been, they've been really, really good. And, and the thing about them is also, like, if you look at their upcoming schedule, it's not like it gets harder. I mean... <laughs> Oklahoma State, Florida, Butler, Georgetown, Villanova. You know, I mean, like, they have a pretty favorable schedule from here on out. Um, so, like, I, I really don't see, unless there's some injuries, like, I can't really confidently pick a team against them right now unless another team shows them shows us that they can beat them. Like, Xavier. Xavier would be one that I could see them losing in Creighton. Like, those yeah, two. Yeah, not the – Those well, two. St. John's, and they, obviously. St. John's is – no. Second best team in the Big East. <laughs> <laughs> so, UConn, UConn. I mean, like their strength of schedule is not great. It's two hundred seventy seventh in the nation, so not but, great overall. But overall, I think um, or two hundred fifty fifth. Sorry, I saw the offense, but two hundred fifty fifth overall, and so it's not going to be like that's going to hurt them, hurt them more than help them come tournament time. But it doesn't matter if you're winning, and they're ranked six, so. That's going to be fun. I mean, you have, other than Georgetown, who's 147th, you have the next lowest team is Butler and DePaul, who are in the 90s. But every other team is, like, a top 75 team. Yeah. So that, that strength of schedule should get way better just because the Big East as a whole is is pretty strong. They only played – well, they played Georgetown twice. Never mind. Um, but other than LIU, who is – 350th, so that's going to be a super easy win. I mean, yeah. their schedule is – it's not super top-loaded in that they're playing a bunch of, like, top 10 teams. Yeah. But they really don't have a bad opponent after they pass up LIU. And if you want to count Georgetown, kind of kick them while they're down. Um, but, yeah, so the, it, they're going to be a really fun team to watch in the Big East. Yeah, just Definitely. Um, let's move on to I've got my eye on you. It's teams that are struggling to play to their expectations. Who are who do you got your eye on this week? So I'm going to put a team a little bit on fraud watch. Uh, <laughs> they're still good, so I don't want to put them like super super on fraud watch. But the Kansas Jayhawks are currently six and one. They have wins over Duke, who could also be put in this category of teams that you have to keep your eye on because their offense apparently John's in coaching this year just have forgotten that you can do <laughs> modern offensive schemes uh, like John Shire it's so funny watching Duke update John's like, in Duke update complain, complain <laughs> yeah. about their offense and Matt will be like Matt Sack will be like uh this is like are you tweeting about Kentucky or are you tweeting about 
Duke because they're very similar issues. Um, yeah. But no, so they have win, a win over Duke. They uh, pulled one out against NC State, and then they beat Wisconsin in overtime. Then, like, they their all of their problems kind of came to a head. They scored fifty, only scored fifty points against Tennessee, which Tennessee has a very, very good defense. So, and it's the third day, third game in thir- three days for them. Um, so, I mean, you can make the excuse there, but right now they're not getting to the free throw line at all. When they do get to the free throw line, they can't hit free throws. Um, they aren't shooting many threes. They're 283rd in three-point attempts for field goal attempt. They just have a lot of problems on their underlying metrics that I don't see getting much better. Um, I don't know. Grady Dick has been really good. Yeah, he has. He's shooting 48% from, from three, and honestly, he should shoot more. Jalen Wilson has been really good. Kevin McCullough has been good, but like MJ Rice, they, uh, they just seem a little bit fraudulent for what they're – the way they've been playing and their record shows. Like, so, I mean, they probably moved up in the in the rankings this, this week but have gone from 8th to 18th since the beginning of the season in Kempom overall. Yeah. So their efficiency is just not great. No. I think this is one of those teams that has a lot of talent and – it's just not – it won't come together while they're together at Kansas. Does that make sense? Like, yes. you won't see this talent be like – like, Grady Dick is going to be a problem in the NBA because he's so good offensively. And in the NBA, you could hide a little bit defensively, like, behind other players too. Um, you know, like, colleges attack bad defenders. Like, that's what Duke did is they attacked Grady Dick on on defense. Um you know, like Jalen uh, Jalen Wilson's doing fine. Like he'll be fine in the NBA. I think he'll be he's better than I expected him to be this season. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give him some props there. Overall, I just think this this team, I think that it's gonna be better when they when they get to the league. And we've seen Kentucky teams like this too, as Kentucky fans, where you know, like that team was probably better once they got to the NBA, but they weren't that good in college. You know, like they weren't that as good together in college as a team. So it's just interesting all around to see that. Um, I've got my eye on Dayton. At one point, they were up to 22. They started the season 24 in Kempom. They got up to 22 and ranked two in the AP poll. Um, and now they are at 55. They dropped three straight, albeit they dropped three straight to tournament teams outside of BYU. Um, but they haven't won a single game against the top 100 opponent in Kempom. And then their final score against Wisconsin was 43-42 as a final score, which is absolutely disgusting. And also the same final score as Auburn and Northwestern, which was the same day, which is also disgusting. So um, just, yeah, yeah, if if I have to keep my eye on another team, it's going to be Auburn. But right for this week, it's Dayton because they haven't beaten the top 100 team yet. And that's, that's pretty sad for a team that, you know, we had kind of, bigger expectations for in the A-10 altogether. All so just watch out, Flyers. You know, you guys are on thin ice, baby. <laughs> it sucks, too, because Jerron Holmes has been everything, like, he has been as advertised. They're, the rest of their team just isn't good enough. Correct. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on to what happened. Teams that got upset, according to Kempom, and we're going within the top 50 teams. So not as many upsets as last week. Um, but let's start, I'll start and then you could take the next one and we'll just trade off back and forth. So St. Mary's number 22 in Kim Palm 
lost to number 116, Washington, 68 to 64 in OT, thanks to one Keon Brooks. Yes, sir. St. Mary's Gales. What happened? Uh, that, that's who I was thinking of. That's the Gales. <laughs> yeah, that, they're also the Gales. Um, yeah, Keon Brooks happened. Duh. Yeah. That's the only, only reasonable explanation. <laughs> um, we already talked about this a little bit, but and another team that I was considering putting on the teams struggling to play to their expectations, uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels lost 70 to 65 to the number 51 Iowa State Cyclones. And the guy that they had on the, like in the interview after the game, was the most like conspicuous looking white boy that you've ever seen. Like he looked like a dude you play at the, at the, Caleb Grill. Fitness. Yes, Caleb exactly. Grill. Yeah. Uh, so North Carolina Tar Heels, Amanda Baycott, what happened? <laughs> Villanova, uh, they struggled all season. Number thirty-four. This is, not good. this is not good. Lost to number one hundred and twenty-three, Portland, eighty-three to seventy-one. Villanova, we know what's happening. You don't have a defense. Yeah. But what <laughs> happened? I wish Villanova had a D in their name so that we could take it out because I yeah. that bit will never never fail to make me laugh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Dude, seriously though, dropping from 19th to 56th in Kimpom, that's bad. Bad. Really bad. I feel bad for Villanova. A little bit. You mean, you mean bad for Villanova? Yeah, bad for <laughs> Let John go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, next. This is like this is a success. Actually, this is this is a tough because these are these are two teams that I loved. One of which was really bad, and then one of which I loved. So this is kind of good because TCU gets a, an actual win after being very underwhelming. But we got number seventeen Iowa, the Hawkeyes, losing to number fifty-five TCU, seventy-nine sixty-six um, Iowa. You somehow still won the like your side of the Big Ten. Actually, or did they? No, I don't think they make it because they lost to Nebraska. So you lose to Nebraska in football, and then you lose this game to TCU. Uh, Hawkeyes, what happened? Yeah, TCU bumped up to forty after after this, and oh, Iowa really? Iowa dropped to twenty three. So they're back in the in the good graces of Ken Palm. Like TCU is um, number forty four. Seton Hall lost to number two hundred and seventeen Siena. 60 to 55 pirates. What happened? Um, you got this game stolen from them is what happened. <laughs> yeah, they really They did. played like booty. Yeah, they dropped, they um, now dropped to the number 57 uh, since. So 13, 13 ranking drop. Not, not great. Not great. All right, it's time for Shark Tank upsets. This is where we both have to pitch an upset that we think is going to happen this week using stats to back it up. Um, and the other person can either buy a pint, a keg, a mini keg, or no, what we say, a pint, a case, a keg, a mini keg, or and that's it. So that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> went out of order there, so I lost it. Yeah, yeah. definitely went out of order, but it's okay. Uh, I should have just pre-recorded these segments, but it's okay. It's all good. All right, what uh, are you pitching? What are you pitching this week? Originality. <laughs> what are you pitching um, for us this week? So, 
got St. Mary's coming off a loss to Keon Brooks and Washington. But because they're coming off a loss, they're now hungry for revenge. And they will be getting that revenge over the Houston Cougars. Um, we got Houston coming in. They're riding high. They're 6-0, second in Ken Palm. They just beat Oregon. And then a, a Kent State team that like is weirdly kind of good and only held them to 49 points, which is gross. Uh, anytime you're winning a game in the 40s, even if it's a win, it should still count as a loss on your resume. Um, but we got, got Houston coming in. They're 256th in three-point percentage on Ken Palm. And they don't really shoot all that often either. So part of this is just to go, they very much rely on finishing at the rim, shooting two-point shots, which they do fairly well. But the reason that's a big kind of call out for this game is St. Mary's has the height advantage at every position uh, by at least an inch. I know Marcus Sasser and Jarris Walker are really good, but they will have guys that have the height and the length on them. St. Mary's does a very good job of, they have the seventh best two point percentage defense uh, in the, in the country. Houston has also relied very heavily on offensive rebounds and St. Mary's with the height there does a very good job of limiting those. Um, and St. Mary's doesn't turn the ball over. They Houston generates a ton of offense from steals. They're 11th in steal percentage, um, like forced, but St. Mary's is eighth in uh, steal percentage. They only give up steals on about less than 6% of their possessions, which is nine points, nine percentage points lower than Houston. So all the things that Houston does well, St. Mary's kind of can counter on the offensive end to kind of cancel out a little bit of Houston's strength on the defensive end, and they should be able to limit their offense. This is a low-scoring game. I think that it is one that St. Mary's ends up pulling out. So, Houston being at home does not sway me in picking St. Mary's to pull the upset, but... This isn't at home either, though. Correct. It's, in, it's, it's at Fort Worth. So, but it's in Texas, which is closer than... <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, closer True. than California. So, yes. Um, being that it's, it will be more of a Houston home game than a St. Mary's home game, even though it's a neutral site, that doesn't help the pitch. However, defense travels. St. Mary's has a really ball. solid defense. Um, the only thing that in the red with them, when I look at like when I look at matchups, I look at what's red and what's green, and you gotta love the offensive rebound percentage for St. Mary's on defense is six, so they don't allow a lot of offensive rebounds. They don't allow a lot of two point percenting shot, uh, two point percentage shots like a high, high shooting against them, which is what you know Houston really wants to do. Obviously, being two hundred fifty six in the nation, so. The only thing that they do not do great at is free throw percentage, but that just means that they're fouling the wrong free throw shooters. And they don't foul often either. Yeah. So Which, they're fouling good free throw shooters. And, but at the same time, like Houston's not like, they're not in the green in that either. So um, it's not like they're going to win with that either. Uh, so I like that. I am going to get a case on this. I still think oh. that Houston ends up winning, but if it's a close game, um, I don't know. I feel like a case means that it could go either way, 
And I, I have a lot more confidence in St. Mary's, you know, making pitching this upset than I do than I did before your pitch. So I think the I think the fact that both of these teams play slowly, especially on offense, is a huge thing too. Just because it limits possessions, which means that you can get one or two shots to go in. Um, especially when St. Mary shoots almost thirty eight percent from three, uh, that you get you get a couple of those threes to go in, and that makes a huge difference because this is probably going to be a low scoring affair. Yeah, and and the thing about being they shoot thirty eight percent from three, which is great. However, their uh, point distribution three pointers only makes up thirty two point five percent. So it's not That's like they average. live and die by the three, which yeah. is good because you know, like shooting doesn't travel sometimes. So yeah. unlike defense, shooting is more inconsistent, especially on the road. So uh, the fact that they don't rely on that helps helps them in this pitch. So good pitch. I like it. I like it a lot. Thanks. All right. So Oregon is taking on UCLA. And my sources is, my reasoning is, just trust me. It's a gut. It's a gut feeling. <laughs> No, but here's the thing is Oregon crashes the offensive boards really well. Uh, They aren't a great three-point shooting team, but they don't rely on it. So it's not like that really affects it. Um, And I know Oregon lost three straight, but they lost three straight to three potential Sweet 16 slash like Elite Eight teams. So those are the games that you learn a lot in. And I feel like they might bring it against the struggling UCLA team. And then Kalel Ware is super fun to watch. So... I think he could be a, a force of nature in this game. And and Dom Dante is probably the best big man on the court in this matchup too. So uh, you like that. Um, there's another reasoning I had. Hold on, let me find it. Uh, I was going to say, you, you only put Khalil Ware on this, but I was going to say that's in Folly Dante erasure because both yeah. of them are awesome. Oregon's offense, I mean, Oregon's offense is 29th in nation. UCLA is 8th in nation. However... The defense disparity is a little bit different. So it's like it doesn't statistically make sense as to why Oregon will beat UCLA other than the fact that I think earlier in the week I have UCLA winning and Oregon beating Washington State. Yes. So UCLA just doesn't scare me at all. Like they just feel like the, they feel like a bigger fraud to me than Kansas. They play Stanford. I think Stanford's actually just because they're – they have no defense. I think that's why UCLA will win. But this game, I like Oregon in for some reason. It just stuck out to me. I tried to find more reasons to pitch it other than this. But that is my pitch, and I'm sticking, trust me, bro, buy something on it. <laughs> um, I'm glad you picked a game that is actually going to be an upset this week. Whatever. <laughs> UCF um, no, would have beat Miami last week. It would have been an upset. <laughs> also, let, we need to talk about this. Here, we need to talk about this real quick before you What's give up? me your pitch. What's up? So let's say a Ken Palm 35 Rutgers is going to take on number 44 Miami. Right? And we're going to talk about this game, so I don't want you to give me your prediction on it yet. We're going to talk about this at Throwdown Games. But they're going yeah. to take on number 44, Miami. But Rutgers is – but Miami is projected to win, according to Ken Palm, 69-67. So is it a upset because of Ken Palm saying it's going to happen, or is it an upset because of the rankings? Because what I've grown up to know as an upset 
is rankings and betting lines. And the betting line hasn't been released yet for this game. And typically when we record, it hasn't been released either. All right. So that this is a good example. I just think that, that this game is out. Like, it wouldn't be able to be picked. Because okay. what Vegas has learned is that Kimpom is good at what it does. And yeah. so Kimpom projections for score are normally very, very close to betting line. So here, the rankings and the line would not match up. No. So I think, I think you have to hit both criteria. I think ranking has to be lower and... And the they have to be, yeah, the betting, betting line. Have to be, they would have to be the underdog. Like, they would be getting points yeah. on the line. I forget what game it was that I pitched that you're like, this isn't an upset because Ken Palm also agrees with you. But the rankings were there. That's why yes. I picked it for the rankings. So now it's we've also, settled it. Now we've settled is, it. <laughs> well, inside baseball, this is me just giving you shit also. I, <laughs> you, you can do whatever you want. You're a grown man. Uh, but I do enjoy giving you shit. But, yeah, I think that. Normally, I would default to the line. So if they are favored or not in Vegas, which is hard to do, but Ken Palm is a pretty good estimation for that. Yeah. Um, especially like when lines open, Ken Palm is good, and then you'll get movement from there. Yeah. Um, but no, I I always understood where you're coming from. I just like yeah. to... <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was taking the shower the other day. I was like, wait, I think the game that I pitched, like the rankings were there. So that's why I went with it. But yeah. All right. No, back to it. Oregon, UCLA. What do you think? Um, I'm in on this. So I think Oregon is one of those teams that despite, well, they've dropped a little bit, but despite losing four games, I mean, they're three and four right now. Despite losing those games, they're they've only dropped that fifteen spots in Ken Palm. Their offense is really really good. They do they have a couple of things that are really really great about their team. And in this kind of a similar thing to my St. Mary's thought is like they they just have the size advantage here at essentially every position. That's correct. Oregon, Oregon's throwing out Will Richardson, who's been a stud this year, and he's six five, guarding Tiger Campbell, who's five eleven. Like they're gonna have a significant like height advantage there. It's hard to match up with essentially two seven footers and Ware and Dante at power forward and center position. Got two six six guys on the wings. Like Oregon brings a ton of size to this game, and yeah. UCLA really likes to score. From like, not from three. From two. I was gonna say from two, but that sounded weird. But like they they like to score in the paint. Hemi Hawkins is a guy that likes to get to the basket and uh, has kind of a bag there. Um, so I really like the fact that they have essentially the height advantage at every single position, minus maybe Hemi Hawkins, depending on. I guess he's really the four, so they would have the size advantage there. Um, but. This this should be a really fun game matchup wise, but I do like Oregon to to win this one. Is this game at it's at Poly, right? Correct. Yeah, so they don't get the this will be actually watchable because you don't have to watch a game on Oregon's floor. That's good too. <laughs> um Yeah, no, I'm in on this. Cool. I'll buy I'll buy a, a pony keg. Oh wow, um, okay. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's move on then. Now that we've got this settled. 
NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, it's time for the beer review. So we're going to drink a couple beers and see what we like about it, what we dislike about it, and try and compare it to something basketball-related, if we can. So what are you drinking tonight, Dale? I went to the bookstore and did it probably a little too close to when we were recording. Uh, <laughs> so had to get – restocked on six-pack, so I have six beers. But I also got a – Wanted to get a cold beer, but they only really had singles in cold beers if I got a tall boy. So I got a tall boy that, not going to lie, I'm probably not going to drink all of because I have to drive <laughs> to get my parents. Uh, but this is, I think I've done a Founders beer on here a couple times. Uh, mm-hmm. Founders is a brewery out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is their Four Giants and the Haze of Destiny Imperial Hazy IPA. Um, it is... Pretty heavy, actually. It is a it's eight point four percent ABV. It's fifty IBUs. It's definitely not the one I was looking at on Untapped because my stats are wrong there. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is super off. Anyways, Imperial uh, Hazy IPA. Uh, it says enjoy fresh. It's got a cool little like cool little can yeah. design too. Uh, got some people there. Let's do a little. Tasty test. Ooh, that's like light for, I guess it's 50 IBU, so I should have expected it, but that's really good. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. So maybe you will finish it before you drive to the airport. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep while I drive, I will. Um, <laughs> no, this is really good, though. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely has like a hoppy like flavor, but is kind of like the citrusy, hazy aspect kind of mellows it out a little bit. Um, if I'm going to compare it to a basketball team, I'm going to go out of college, I'm going to go NBA, and I'm going to compare it to the peak of all big man lineups that the the Nuggets threw out uh, in a in a summer league game or a preseason game where they started like Paul Millsap at the at the <laughs> one and had uh, had all their seven footers in there, which they robbed us of Bol Bol playing next to Nicole Jokic, which I am just horrendously uh, disappointed in. But this this beer is called Four Giants. They were throwing honestly five Giants out there, but. Uh, that means that they were also throwing four giants out there. So I'm going to go with the 
the all-time Denver Nuggets massive lineup where they had uh, they had all the size out there. I like it. I like it. And you were reaching a little bit to try and get that Bull Bull Nuggets plug that you've been talking about for a couple of days now. So I like that, but but I like it nonetheless. Um, I'm going with spots. I think it's Spotzel Brewery in Shiner, Texas, which I've done a Shiner beer before, but this is Shiner Holiday Cheer. Ooh, haven't had um, this one. It's a Bavarian dark style dark wheat ale brewed with Texas peaches and roasted pecans. It's 5.4 ABV, zero IBUs, and Untapped has a 3.72. This is the seasonal beer, obviously, and this is I think they do a different one each year. So this is 2022. They do. And it is. I've already had it. I've already had a. I've already had one today because I actually used it to make a barbecue sauce earlier. So I took a little sip, and I used it for a beer can chicken. Uh, very tasty chicken. Very tasty barbecue sauce on the chicken, all around. Like cooking with it, and I took a couple sips of it, and it was very tasty beer. So my comparison is because it's seasonal and because it really peaks in late November, early December, <laughs> and won't be there in March. I'm going with Rick Barnes. So cheers. <laughs> as soon as you started that statement, I knew it was going to be a backhanded compliment. Correct. But, hey, you're peaking in December, man. You beat Kansas by, like, 15. So Good job. there you go. Cheers. November. Good job, buddy. <laughs> cheers, Rick Barnes. All right, it's time for Throwdown Games. This is where we give our predictions on the upcoming games ahead of us. And let's talk about last week's results. So, like I said, Dow took Feast Week, had 10 picks correct. I had eight. Steven had six. So we're going to keep track and take next week, and uh, maybe at the end of the season we'll decide on some sort of bet or something for the winner. I don't know. We'll we'll do a gift for the winner or something at the end of the season, whoever has the most weeks. But – so far, since we keep in track, you're you're one week. You got you got a one week lead on me, but I'm coming for it. Coming for the tie this week. So too bad. Yeah. So Tuesday, uh, November 29th. So we're recording at it is 10:52. Um, we are we're gonna you're gonna be listening to this on your way to work tomorrow or in the office tomorrow. But so Tuesday night, November 29th. Number seven, Baylor, takes on number 59, Marquette, at 8.30 p.m. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Palm is projecting a win for Baylor, 81-75, with a 70% confidence rate. What do you think, Dal? Yeah, I got Baylor. They have – they're too good. I just don't trust Baylor to – like, even going on the road, they're too good. Yeah. I have Baylor as well. Too much depth. And Marquette sucks at offensive rebounds, so, yeah. The only thing that Baylor struggles defensively is defending a three. That's literally the worst thing that Marquette does offensively. So, not great for pitching an upset. Take Baylor. Uh, Yeah, so at 9.30 p.m. in Ann Arbor, Michigan, number five, Virginia takes on number 53, Michigan. Uh, Ken Palm has... Michigan winning 67-62. Um, no. Or, no, I'm sorry. Not or Virginia, not Michigan. I misspoke. Um, so I am going to go with Virginia winning. Their defense is elite. 
Michigan gets like hardly any offensive rebounds. They struggle from three and they shoot 66.9% from free throw. All the, all those things, like you need one of those things to win an upset in my opinion. And especially on the road or no, this is at home, but either way to pitch an upset, you need one of those things, one of those three to win an upset. They don't do either of them well. So I don't, I don't like it. And they don't force a lot of turnovers either. You need that too. If you're, if you struggle with all three of those things, you need to force a lot of turnovers. They're 305th in the nation and forced turnovers. So what do you think? Michigan has big men and Virginia doesn't. So I'm going Michigan because Hunter Dickinson is going to be a stud in this game. And one thing that is also, so one thing that, Virginia will, I'm sure, do is try and double him, force him to turn the ball over. He has done a very good job of avoiding turnovers this year. So I think the fact that they have only one person that is above 6'8 that plays any meaningful minutes for them, I think that um, Hunter Dickinson shows out, especially in a game that is going to be low scoring because it's a Virginia game. And um, I no, think wait, hold really on. Well. Didn't Virginia hang 100 on somebody this year, though? Yeah, but the, I mean, they're still 329th in average possession length. So <laughs> I'm just mostly messing with you. <laughs> you say it's low scoring, but they they scored 100 points in a game. Okay, bro. I'm just they still, with you. They still they still are 362nd overall in average tempo, which I misspoke. They their highest score it was 89, but they put 86 up on Baylor. They. Literally are the next to last team in terms I know. of I'm average just, tempo. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like how I feel this now, do you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, so this is going to be one that will decide who wins next week because these are two very different answers. <laughs> Let's move on, though. Um, number 33, Penn State. Takes on number 66, Clemson, at 7 p.m. in Clemson. Uh, Ken Palm's projecting a 68-67 to 67 victory for Penn State with the 50% confidence. What do you think? Uh, Jalen Pickett is the best player in this game by a pretty decent margin. Shooting 40% from three is fifth in the country in assist rate. I think he is, because he's the best player in this game, I'm going uh, Penn State here. Yeah, so fun fact, Penn State is first in the nation in three points in point distribution with 49.5%. They shoot the three really well, too. However, they are terrible in offensive rebounding percentage, 17.9%, which is 357th in the nation. My rules on the road is if you you can't shoot, like shooting can struggle and you're going to get like if you aren't getting put boards or putbacks, it's going to be really tough. So, in a hostile environment where Clemson has failed to play up to their expectations, I think Clemson is going to take an upset over Penn State this week. And you're gonna re- like why I picked this though. Uh, it'll be revealed later, but you're gonna like why I picked this. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think Clemson needs needs this win more and. Shooting, it's hard to – if you're not making shots, like shooting doesn't travel like we talked about. So, I mean, it rarely travels. So, 
they have to make a lot of shots. Clemson, I think, can can pull out the upset this week. So, also anyway. Clemson, aren't PJ Hall, you idiots? He's your best player. Correct. Yeah. What if this is the game that PJ Hall just gets like forty minutes? Well, I mean, he's <laughs> yeah, he's not like that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, number seventy-six. The Demon Deacons, Wake Forest takes on number 40, Wisconsin, at 9 p.m. in Madison, Wisconsin. 68 to 61, Wisconsin is supposed to win, according to Ken Palm, with a 73% confidence rate. I don't like it. I don't like it so much to the point that I picked Wake to win. Wake's offense is so well-balanced and statistically um, and defensively, there isn't a, like a true weakness for Wake's defense. Um Wisconsin's offense is very disgusting. Like we mentioned earlier, they had a final score of 43 to 42. Uh, and then Clintman for Wake, I think, can definitely give Tyler Wall a, a hard time. And then my my main point here is Appleby and Hildreth are better than the sum of Hepburn and Essigen. So what do you think? Uh, Kyrie Appleby is a dog. And so this Wake Forest team – Still has not played a game where they have had their full roster. So, Jowie Tuka came back, uh, transfer from Marist, was the, the MAC freshman of the year last year, had been hurt. They're still kind of getting him back um, into, into the fold. But he's super good at getting to the free throw line and super efficient uh, finishing at the rim. He should be a great piece to add into the backcourt. Um, and... David Williamson also has missed two games and should be back for this game on Tuesday. So add him in. He's only shooting 33%, but is a knockdown uh, shooter from the corner, which should be really aided by Cameron Hildreth and Jalatuka's ability to drive Tyree Happy as well. Uh, I love the backcourt here uh, to, to beat a Wisconsin team. I also wanted to call out, so Demari Monsanto, who I said at the beginning of the year was going to shoot a bazillion in four threes, has already shot 43s on the year, is shooting 47.5%, okay? But if you look that in the first two games of this year, it's Fairfield and Georgia, he started 0 for 4. I think he started 0 for 7 too, or 0 for 6 because he um, – I think he missed his first two against Utah Valley and then made his, his last two. So over the last two games, he's six for nine and four for eight from three. So shooting well above five, uh, 50%. He has been kind of fire flames, has moved into the starting role, has also really upped his defensive uh, ability. So I like Wake's backcourt here. Let's do it. Wake is taking it. Um, Let's go deep. Wednesday. November 30th, the last day of the month, number 19, Ohio State, is playing in Durham against number 20, Duke, at 7.15 p.m. Ken Palm is projecting a 70-67 to 67 victory for Duke with a 61% confidence rate. I am taking Ohio State in this one. I think they have a more balanced offense. I think Duke's offense has a lot of issues that need to be worked out. Ohio State doesn't force a lot of turnovers, but Duke's offense is so ineffective that literally they're the number one in the nation for offensive rebounding. That's how ineffective their offense is. So they get a lot of offensive rebounds because they can't score quality shots, can't get good looks at the rim, right? 
So that's why Kyle Filipowski is also like, I think the first Duke freshman ever to record like four or five straight double doubles, which is insane considering the amount of good big men that they've had. Um, So all that said, I think Ohio state is the more experienced and balanced team here. I think they balance offensively and defensively. What do you think? So only reason I will push back is uh, Duke has one, including Derek Lively, who is like obviously still coming back. One, two, three, four, five, six guys that are six six or taller that will play in this game and get meaningful minutes, including three of their starters. There is only one person, two people on the on the Ohio State roster that are above six six, and it's six eight Zedke. <laughs> And 6'11", Felix Oparra. Duke's size, regardless of how they've struggled this year, I think will end up being able to bother Ohio State and should let them get some easy baskets. So I'm going Duke in this one. Plus, they just like have to be good. It's also in Durham, which I think helps a lot. Does help a lot, correct. Which is the same reason why, for this next game, I'm pitching who I'm pitching. Um, number 21, UNC is taking on number 11, Indiana, at 9-15 in Bloomington. Uh, 74-68 Indiana victory, according to Ken Palm, with a 70% confidence rate. I'm going Indiana here and because it's a home game mainly. But let me hear your reasons why. Bro, I'm, not, I'm never picking a game where Amanda Bacot is on the other team. <laughs> I'll continue to pick against him. Uh, they also are not shooting well from three. This is UNC. I'm not shooting well from three. It's really one of the only main spots that is red on this Ken Palm matchup in terms of UNC offense versus Indiana defense. That's a big, that's a big no-no. Um, I think Jalen Huchifino is probably the best guard in this game, and Trace Jackson Davis is the best big. So it's hard to combine. It's hard to combine that with a um, with it being a home game and go against Indiana. Yeah, and and honestly, the way that UNC UNC scares me not just for this game, but just in general for them, like I'm scared for them. Excuse me, is if one of their starters gets in foul trouble, like which can definitely happen on the road. They rely so much on their starters; it would take like an incredible game from somebody else, like to step up. And I just don't think they have somebody else that can step up like that against a top ten team. So I think Indiana has more depth. And when it comes to UNC's defense, I just don't trust it. I mean, they literally went into four overtimes with Alabama. Like, that's just not great. You know what I mean? So, um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't trust UNC in this game on the road against the top ten team, especially with how they're playing right now. So, you said Indiana has more depth. Indiana is twelfth in terms of bench minutes, so they have a ton of depth. Yeah, uh, UNC is Virginia levels of slow. That's them, but how often they use their bench. They are 362nd in terms of bench like yeah. production, in terms of minutes. So if one dude goes out, and Trace Jackson Davis does a really good job of getting to the line as well. So if one dude goes out for them, it's not good for UNC. Not good at all. Not good at all. All right, number 36, Rutgers, is taking on number 45, Miami, at 715 in Coral Gables, Florida. Ken Palm is projecting a 70 to 67 victory for Miami. What do you think? 
I mean, I can't go against Miami here. The home court advantage, I think, is super helpful. Uh, the, I mean, Rutgers is a very good team, don't get me wrong, but I like Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack to be better than the backcourt for um, for Rutgers. Also, Norshad uh, Omir is, has been an absolute stud and really am excited for that matchup with Cliff Amarui. Cliff Amarui is big, definitely big, has four inches on uh, Omir, but he has – Omir should have the speed on him, so that should be a good kind of like cat and mouse game where yeah. they go back and forth. Uh, I'm going Miami here. Yeah, I'm going Miami as well. Rutgers just doesn't have a super effective offense. Miami is super streaky when it comes to offense, though. Uh, like True. as streaky as they come. So it wouldn't surprise me if like they just didn't show up in this game offensively. Um, also, I have to push the narrative that Miami's good now because they beat UCF. And if Rutgers wins, it's because no one on Miami's team can stop Cliff Amory because he's so freaking tall. So, um, yeah. yeah. But I don't think Rutgers is going to win. I think Miami's taking this one. So we're going to move on. Rutgers also opponents are shooting eighteen percent from three against them. That is so like that has to regress so hard to the mean that yeah. it's going to come back to bite them at some point because they cannot continue to get that lucky. For sure, for sure. Um, it's not so, it's not like they're forcing them to take bad shots either. Like it's open looks that they're missing. People are missing right. against them. So yeah, um, number thirty Michigan State taking on number seventy eight Notre Dame. 9.15 p.m. in South Bend. Michigan State's projected to win, according to Ken Palm, 68 to 66, with a 57% confidence rate. So a little shaky, Ken Palm. Not not too sure about it. Um, I'm going Michigan State. I think Notre Dame's defense is just so bad, and MSU is just too deep. Um, <laughs> 168th is not good. No, it's so bad. Um, <laughs> it's really not good. Not, not good at all. So... I just I just can't say hey I'm gonna this upset's gonna happen with with the defense that bad, so give me the Spartans. Um, you remember whenever we said that uh, UNC is 362nd in terms of uh, in terms of bench minutes? Yeah. I found the team at 363rd, and it's Notre Dame because they only have six players on their roster listed on Ken Palm. They do not sub dudes. And Maddie Sissoko is the perfect person to make sure that that does not happen. Yeah. I really want to go against you here so we can have some differentiation, but Michigan State, I think this, like, like you said, they're 168th on defense, Notre Dame is. This is and, not the game to go against me, and this is and not Michigan State's offense is is the best, the best of the four units in this game. I gotta go, Michigan State. Yeah, this is not the game to go for it. So it's okay yeah. though, because Thursday, December first, number ten Arizona is taking on number sixty four Utah at eight thirty p.m. in Salt Lake City. Ken Palm's projecting an eighty to seventy four uh, seventy four win for Arizona. With a 71% confidence rate. I had Arizona at first, but to go against the grain, to do what my gut is telling me to do, I'm going with the Utes, baby. Utah's defense is really good, six in the nation. Arizona's defense is not good. And if Utah comes out hot offensively, their defense bothers Arizona, don't be surprised. 
when the Utes take the victory at home. That helps them a lot. And like we said, defense travels, and Arizona doesn't have the defense that we thought they might have. So give me the Utes. This is a really funny matchup in large part because the Arizona offense versus Utah defense is incredibly green on green, meaning that it's like good on good until you get to the steal percentage. And Arizona apparently just like tries to give teams the ball and Utah just does not want the ball at all. They are both (laughs) in the 350s in terms of steal percentage. So it's going to be a really interesting battle to see there who is able to, to come away with, with, um, the the advantage there. Um dude the starting lineup for Arizona is just an absolute juggernaut. It so is. No, they do have a and, lot of talent. Also have kind of a coming out party too. Uh he was incredible uh last week. So Yeah. No, they have a lot of talent. And originally like I said I had Arizona picked, but to go against what so we're not picking the same people because we need to have some sort of yeah tension there. I'm picking Utah on this one. And like I said, I was really close to already picking Utah. I just picked Arizona because of the talent, but you know what? Give me the Utes. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Tabula Simbalo versus Carlson in this game is going to be super fun. Very fun, yes. Um, Number 12, UCLA is going to Stanford, number 63. At 10.30 p.m., this is Eastern time, by the way, they would not be tipping off at 10.30 in California, but it's 71-66 victory for UCLA, according to Ken Palm, with the 67% confidence rate. What are you thinking? I'm thinking it's weird that the Pac-12 is already playing conference games. I know they have an extended schedule, so it's not actually that surprising. Um, again, one thing, uh, th- this is the reason I'm tempted to pick Stanford here is that Again, UCLA just is kind of a smaller team, and Stanford is a big team. They have a dude that's 7-1. They're two main contributors, Spencer Jones and Harrison Ingram, who Harrison Ingram quite possibly might be the best player on this, like, in this game. Uh, but those two guys are both 6-7. They are 6-5, 6-8, and 6-2 are their other starters. So they really are do have the height to be able to bother UCLA with that said, UCLA is better on offense than Stanford is on defense and better on defense than Stanford is on offense. And Stanford offense just seems really, really – they're going to struggle to score. It's For so being bad. so tall, they only um, are shooting 53% from two, which I feel like that, that number needs to be better if they're going to take advantage of that. So I'll, I'll go UCLA here. Yeah, I'm going to UCLA as well. It's just too hard to pick Stanford with the way their offense is. It's not effective. They turn the ball over a lot, and they don't shoot well. Shoot well from deep. It's not not a recipe for an upset by any means. Plus, I need UCLA to fall asleep at the wheel here, get by the Stanford team, so that way they can go ahead and lose to Oregon on Sunday. So that is my agenda pushing for the week. And yeah, number fifteen, Creighton. Takes on number one Texas at 7 p.m. in Austin, Texas. Ken Palm's projecting 73-65. Victory for Texas at 77% confidence rate. And you know what? I'm going with the Longhorns because, A, Moody Magic. That game against Gonzaga was electric, and they were, they're not a great three-point shooting team. 
but they were, I think they had like nine threes in that game. It was something ridiculous. So Moody magic is very much a real thing. And we need to get a Moody center in Kentucky ASAP. Um, Creighton's biggest weakness is their defense, particularly their three point defense. And they just don't force a lot of turnovers. Texas defense against Creighton's offense is going to be electric. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. You got a really good defense and a really good offense going ahead to head. I can't wait to watch it. What do you think? I am going Creighton here. One, the size, Tyree Hunter small, Marcus Carr small. Even Serge Barry Rice, 6'4", uh, that's pretty small for where they're going to roll it as a three. Uh, other than Ryan Nimhard, you have Kaluma, who's 6'7", Trey Alexander, who's 6'4", Baylor Shireman, 6'7", Kelk Brenner is obviously 7'1", seven, seven who's going to be matching up with, you know, I mean, the tallest person that Texas throws out. Granted, their defense is very good, but they're – Tallest players are Dylan Mitchell at 6'8 and Dylan Disu at 6'9. Disu is a, I mean, if you're going to have a small lineup, like those two guys are pretty damn good to have as your small uh, front court. But I think they're going to struggle with Kalkbrenner's size. Um, also, as good as Texas's defense is, Crane's offense is just as good. Yeah. So it's not like that there's that much of a mismatch there. So even if that is kind of a, a wash. Um, Creighton doesn't foul at all, and the and the Texas offense does. They don't draw a ton of fouls per se. They're like kind of middle of the pack in that, but yeah. they do score a bunch from two. So I think that as they try and put pressure on Creighton, penetrating the basket, I think Creighton does a pretty good job dealing with that. So I'll go Creighton. Fair enough. Uh, number fifty-four. Arizona State is taking on number 58, Colorado, in Boulder at 8.30 p.m. 71-68 win for Colorado, according to Ken Palm, with a 60% confidence rate. Both these teams have won really good games, and both these teams have lost really bad games. Um, For that reason, I'm going Arizona State. I think defense travels. I think they have the better defense in this matchup. And... I think they also rely on their depth. So if one of like Collins Horn or Cambridge gets hot, like I like their chances more than Colorado who kind of relies on like two main guys to score offensively. So what do you think? Yeah, this is a, this is a strange game because it's two, two teams that are both better on defense than they are on offense. Um, Colorado goes really, really fast on offense. Arizona state tries to slow it down on that end. And it sounds like kind of the same on the other end where Arizona state's pace on offense is faster than Colorado's normal defensive, uh, possession. Um, let's see. I think Arizona state's defense definitely is the better option here. I'm going to go, I'm going to, single out the offensive rebounding though and have that be the reason why Colorado's offense is going to win here. They're going to miss a bunch of shots, but they're going to be able to get take advantage of Arizona State's inability to offensive rebound and they're going to win the game. All right. Also just to be different. Yeah. Uh Friday, December 2nd, number 9 Gonzaga takes on number 7 Baylor, 8 p.m. in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
83 to 82 victory for Baylor, according to Ken Palm, with the 51% confidence rate. So not super confident in that one is Ken Palm. What do you think? Uh, I'm going Baylor here. This is two great offenses. Uh, Baylor has a better offense. And I think one of the main ways that Gonzaga wins is by being able to get Drew Timmy in space and take advantage of people that can't guard in space. And Baylor does not have that issue. They're super athletic, should be able to double team him really effectively, which can get him turning the ball over, which is a thing that he does kind of struggle with at times. So I'm going to go Baylor. Yeah, I'd hate to go and agree with you here, but Baylor has the better defense. Um, and I like their chances. So that because of that, I like their chances of getting a stop when they need it. Um, yeah. So give me Baylor in this one. I think they have all around the better shooting on this team as well. So, yeah, give me give me the Bears. Number 22, nice. Illinois, takes on number 24, Maryland, at 9 p.m. in College Park, Maryland. 75-72 victory for Maryland, according to Ken Palm, with a 61% confidence rate. I'm going with the Terps. They're at home against the streaky Illinois team that offensively. I just don't trust them yet, especially on the road. And Jameer Young has been playing some ball. That dude has been playing some ball. So I like I like the matchup here as much as I like Terrence Shannon Jr. And some of the Illinois players, they've grown on me. Uh, I don't like them enough to win this game. And I think T- TSJ is going to struggle a little bit. So, yeah, give me uh, give me – the Terps. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Illinois here, even though I was kind of low on them. And Maryland does have the benefit of having the anti-Danny Manning curse, where Danny Manning has now been their coach and left, and they have gotten infinitely better because of that. Uh, but Tanshan Jr. is really good. I also really like the the depth. It's weird that we were talking about the depth for Miami or for Illinois being a plus, but they got Dane Danger, Sincere Harris. Yeah. And Matthew Meyer off the bench, plus Ty Rogers. Uh, and those guys, along with their starting five, uh, provide a really, really nice eight-and-a-half, nine-man rotation. Uh, so I'm going to go Illinois here. All right. And the last game for Friday, number 76, Wake Forest, takes on number 66, Clemson, at 7 p.m. in Clemson, South Carolina. 72-68 victory for Clemson, according to Ken Palm, with a 65% confidence rate. I am going Wake because Clemson sucks, Wake rules. But also, I went with Clemson earlier in the week, as as well as going with Wake earlier in the week. But I went with Clemson earlier in the week because if they had lost another one, then I think they would have won this game. So that's why I picked Clemson to win earlier in the week. Um because I think Wake is going to take this game hands down. I agree. One, it's a revenge game from last year. I don't think this is actually true, but the big kind of hubbub around the Clemson game last year at the very end of the year was that Wake needed to go in and take care of business at Clemson to be able to secure a tournament bid. They did not do so, which, again, I doubt that that's actually why they didn't make the tournament. Uh, they would have needed to win a couple, if not all, of the games in the ACC tournament to do so. But there is still that narrative. I think they'll be looking to kind of prove a point. Plus, again, this is a team that still hasn't played with all their players together. This will be the second te- second game uh, this week. 
Second game that they'll have had all their players, so they really start to kind of get into a groove there. So I expect Wake to continue to be on the rise just as they get those players uh, integrated. And Clemson, I mean, they are a pretty small team, uh, which Wake should be able to take advantage of. Uh, Wake is the deeper team. They shoot better from three. Uh, well, shoot better from three relative to the what the opponent gives up. Um, Clemson actually shoots a little bit better uh, from three, but I like Wake here. Awesome. Plus, if I ever choose do- not Wake in a game, it's like I'm got a gun to my head in the in the like off camera, and I have been kidnapped. So <laughs> some help. Uh, correct. Um, Saturday, December third, number eleven, Indiana takes on number thirty six, Rutgers at four p.m. and New Jersey, I'm not going to pretend to pronounce, know how to pronounce how to, where Rutgers plays in New Jersey. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't know. that. I don't want to try it and embarrass myself. I embarrass myself enough on this podcast. Uh, number 69, or not number 69, 69 to 66, victory for the Hoosiers with a 59% confidence rate. I'm going with Indiana. They just have too much depth. They're too effective offensively. I don't trust Russ Rutgers' team this year. Unfortunately, I projected them to lose, for them to lose twice this week, so it is what it is. Um, so I think I like Indiana's team better. With that said, Rutgers' home court advantage last year was huge. They're going to be serving up wins freaky fast there because it's the Jimmy John's arena or the Jersey Mike's arena. I mean, not, not freaky, freaky fast. fast. Whatever Jersey Mike's thing is, shit, I mess it <laughs> up. Regardless. Uh, I'm gonna go with Rutgers. Be a sub above. That's what they're yeah, exactly. They're gonna be <laughs> a win above. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just they they don't go to their bench that often because their starters are a sub above. Sub above, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So uh, no, the, the Rutgers on both sides has uh, three point percentages that will need to that will I think definitely kind of even out and uh, regress to the mean. They're not shooting well from three right now, but I believe they're a better shooting team than 31% uh, as a team. So I'm going to go with Rutgers here. Also, just to be different. Just to be different. There you go. Um, Next game, number 29, West Virginia is traveling to Cincinnati, Ohio, to take on number 32, Xavier, at 6.30 p.m., it's a 75 to 73 victory for Xavier, according to Ken Palm. And this is the We Are Marshall movie matchup. Have you ever seen yeah. that movie? I love it. Both I love of those teams are in there. So, yeah, like just classic college feel to that movie, obviously. Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Um, West Virginia is going to take this one, though, in my opinion. I think Xavier allows too many offensive rebounds, they don't defend well from deep. West Virginia is a solid offense, gave Purdue the best game of the Phil Knight Invitational. Uh, hands down, they only lost by 12 in the, in the first round. We thought, I thought it was like, oh, man, West Virginia just might not, might not be that good because they lost by 12 to Purdue in the first round of this Phil Knight Invitational. No, it turns out that was the best, like the closest score for any Purdue game that, that week. So turns out West Virginia actually could be decent, decent squad. They force a lot of turnovers. Xavier is terrible at protecting the ball. So... I know it's a road road upset here, but give me the Mountaineers. Uh, Xavier's one of the best shooting teams in the country. And despite the fact that they turn the ball over a lot and West Virginia really preys on that, 
I am going to go Xavier because I think they are just a significantly more efficient team scoring the basketball. And they are also tall, which allows them to kind of counteract the two-point percentage that West Virginia relies on heavily. So I'm going to go Xavier here. Musketeers. I like it. Number 31, Oklahoma is traveling to Philadelphia to take on number 55, Villanova. 63-62 victory for Villanova, according to Ken Palm. This game's happening at noon on Saturday. What do you think, Dal? Oklahoma, and you're about to say it too, but Nova's defense is just horrendous. It's just so bad. It's literally it's, it's literally one of the worst in the nation. Who we talked about earlier? Was it Notre Dame? Notre Dame's was really bad. Mm, yes. I think I think I think Villanova is like rivaling how bad their defense is. Let me check. I'm going to check. You keep talking about this though. It's definitely not good. Um, and honestly, Oklahoma's defense is pretty solid. Uh, they don't they don't rebound the ball very well, but Villanova doesn't really either. Okay, so Ugh, no, no, Villanova's isn't as nearly as bad as Notre it's Dame. One ten, it's one ten in the country. Notre Dame, yeah. but still really bad for a team that had really high expectations. And for us, I mean, we had them, you know, number one in the Big East. So um, not great, Bob. Not great at all. And yeah, Oklahoma's defense is is good enough to get multiple stops in a row and give their offense some more scoring opportunities. So. Oklahoma's defense is just good enough to lean on for their offense to lean on for a stop here or there, where Nova's is not. The the way to beat Oklahoma is to score from, like, two. So they do a good job defending three, and they do a good job of not fouling. Those are the two things that Villanova has struggled with, and they don't take advantage of scoring from either the mid-range or at the rim, which – just seems like an awful situation even on, even on offense for them too. So I'm going I'm going Oklahoma. All right. Let's move on to Sunday, December fourth. Number twenty one UNC travels to Blacksburg, Virginia to take on Virginia Tech. Ken Palm is saying seventy to sixty nine Virginia Tech. I'm gonna go with UNC. Excuse me. Um UNC is gonna be pissed after they lose a very close game to Indiana. And though you're going to just beat up on Virginia Tech, I think. They're, Virginia Tech's defense needs work. They don't force a lot of turnovers. And to pitch an upset, like I said, you have to shoot threes, offensive rebound, or force turnovers. you got to have one of those. They don't really do that well. So give me the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, I like that Grant Basile is someone that, that um, Virginia Tech uses so often because he's very much their best player. Um, it being in Blacksburg definitely does help a little bit, but I just don't see North Carolina like dropping. Well, I mean, I picked Indiana to beat them too. So this would be their fourth straight loss. Like I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go, I'll go UNC as well here. All right. Number 38, St. John's traveling to Ames, Iowa to take on, Number 42, Iowa State Cyclones at 3 p.m. Ken Palm's projecting a 74-71 victory for uh, Iowa State. 
I'm going with Iowa State as well. It's at home for them. They force a lot of turnovers. They and they win the experience and length matchup, which I know you like so much. So, yes, give me the Cyclones. I do. Um, one thing that I don't love is that they foul a ton. Yeah. Um, for every field goal attempt that uh, that Iowa State gives up, they're giving up almost a free throw attempt per field goal attempt. Um, so it's almost a one-to-one uh, like ratio there. Uh, Iowa State does a good job of turning the ball over, like turning opponents over. St. John's is pretty solid at that, um, especially Posh Alexander and Andre Carbello, as we know, are two of my their players. They they do actually kind of turn the ball over a decent amount. David Jones, though, is the guy that they use on – has the highest usage rate, and he does not turn the ball over. No, he so doesn't. that's a good uh, indication there. Um, I'm going to go Red Storm. Again, I got narratives to push, too, so <laughs> I, I got to go Red Storm here. Yep. All right, number four, Kentucky – Traveling to London, England to take on number 53, Michigan, at 1 p.m. Kentucky's projected to win 77-67, according to Ken Palm. What do you think, Dal? Um, Sorry, I'm getting an update that apparently my parents aren't flying out anyway, so now I have to go stay at their house again. Um, This this will be a really fun game. Uh, Asher Shibway, Hunter Dickinson, two of the better big men in the country this year. Uh, London is it's going to be a weird game. Kentucky, I think, is the far better team here. They every single big game, I think they will be kind of tired of getting the like, oh, Kentucky can't win a big game. They can't shoot. Uh, every single big game that we've played so far, they haven't just shot poorly. They've shot like way, way past what even like shooting poorly would be. I do not think that continues. So I think Kentucky wins pretty easily here. Yeah, I I saw the tweet that Jack Pilgrim put out about Cal saying that they went like they had a practice that they practiced all they did was practice the zone defense, which is seems like a hyperbole um, for John Calipari. Shocker. Um, yeah. So if they did practice it, it wasn't because they're playing Bellarmine tomorrow night um, <laughs> because that would be a terrible decision to roll out the zone against a team that shoots really well from deep and. It's because they're going to play Michigan, and Michigan sucks at shooting the three. And they don't offensive rebound very well. And they don't shoot free throws very well. So, And they struggle to turn teams over. So Kentucky's actually 33rd in the nation in turnover percentage, which is shocking. It feels like, obviously, I'm a Kentucky fan, so I watch it with a harsher scope than I would other teams. They don't actually turn the ball over that much, surprisingly. And they don't get blocked a lot. So that's a good thing for Kentucky's uh, matchup here. So for that reason, I'm also going Kentucky. It'd be hard to go pick Michigan. We have have to beat one of the Michigan schools. Let's beat the Wolverines since we couldn't beat the Spartans. Give me that. That's a good plan. I like that. Yeah. So, all right. And that wraps up throwdown games. Can we we have John Calipari talk in in a British accent? through all of his press conferences in London, that would be hilarious. That would be really funny. Either that or, like, just a random player. Like, somebody that's really sh- – like, Kaysen Wallace just breaks out a British accent. That would be <laughs> hilarious. Give me that. 100%. Yes. We need it. We need it.
All right, Dallas. So it's time for the last call here. And I've come to the conclusion that you are a height supremacist. You ever watch the league? The show, the league. Uh, I've seen episodes, but I haven't like watched it religiously. They, they fantastic show. Go watch the whole season. You'll get hooked for sure. But one of the things that they say is like one of the characters is a height supremacist and they pick their fantasy football lineup based on how tall the players are, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you definitely use the height way too much in some of these upsets because we can't act like one of the best point guards in UK history wasn't five foot nine. Like we can't, we can't just sit here and say that. Bro, that's or Kentucky's current point guard is five foot nine, five foot ten. So um, yeah, you are a height supremacist, but no, I really do appreciate you. And I'm going to give you a shout out, Dal, because you got me this awesome Christmas present. If you could see hey. it on the camera. Yeah, Indiana I, State. I meant to have you open it at Christmas, and I, was, I even put my name on the shipping thing, so like when it showed up to your house, you would know that it was like from me. And I was like, yeah. "Don't open the the thing that is shipped, <laughs> shipped to me." And then I forgot. So <laughs> all good. I get to wear it throughout the season, and I will definitely yeah. wear it in Orlando. And I also wanted to give a shout out to, let's see. P1 UK fan, UK fan 1980 for interacting with us on Twitter and hopefully retweeting this freaking episode when we post it. So (laughs) shout out to UK fan 1980. Go follow him. Good follow. Not a bad follow. If I didn't, if he's a bad follow, I wouldn't follow him. And then Matt Sack wants me to shout out to Scott Scott Satterfield uh, for coaching at UofL. So yeah, L's down. Also, I went to the UCF USF game. It was incredibly fr- fun throwing down the horns down like the whole time. Just, just doing this in the stands all the time. Incredibly fun, and also the fact that they even got down in the second half to USF was embarrassing. But USF has is a is a good location for an up and coming OC or DC that wants to be a head coach somewhere. So, somebody go apply. Did you get a 15-yard penalty every time you did it? No. I, but so we bought $20 tickets, and because typically we go to a friend that's a USF student, and she just gets us the student tickets. But we didn't this time. We tailgated with them, but we went in the UCF. like We just went as fans or whatever, and they were $20 tickets. So after the fees, it was like 60 bucks. But they were club seats, and we didn't know it. And it was awesome, dude. Like padded cushion, like this thick of padding. and like the beer came in a collectible cup, like fantastic experience. So glad I bought tickets instead of going to the student section. Uh, highly recommend going, getting club seats. So, yeah. What's your last call? Um, my last call. Uh, all right. So if you have followed me on Twitter, you know that I probably enjoy semantics. You also listen to this podcast and I call out Connor for, random little nitpicky things uh, in terms of semantics. But one thing that I will urge people to do is be conscious of what point you're trying to make and making that point without it needing to be interpreted. So like uh, the, the main example here, and this comes from being a fan of both Kentucky and Wake who have had less than successful seasons compared to what preseason expectations were. The word unacceptable has been thrown about a bunch with fans. The sentiment is 
fully correct. It is seven and five is not good enough. That is a way. That is definitely a way to say it. But as a fan, who you, your only choice is to accept what has happened because that's what you are like. You have no control over it as a fan, so you by definition have to accept whatever the outcome is. Saying something is unacceptable implies that changes need to be made that you have no power in making. If a coach wants to come out and say it's unacceptable the way we've been playing, that makes more sense. Um, so. Again, it's nitpicky, but just make sure that you're trying to be conscious of the word choice that you use because it really does matter. Uh, another example, Hugh Freeze just got hired by uh, Auburn. That's disgusting on multiple levels. But some ESPN guy was like, oh, there have been multiple missteps that he has made. Whether he like meant it or not, categorizing what Hugh Freeze has done in his past as missteps is a horrendous like even technically if it's true that does not that does not get across the amount of horrendous things that Hugh Freeze has done and how awful that that hire is from a like moral perspective. Yeah. So just be be conscious of that. Uh, and I don't want to say hold people accountable. You should hold people accountable. That do stuff like say that what he freeze has done has been a couple of missteps, but the like trying to approach it. If you're going to do that, trying to approach that conversation in a positive way where you are helping fans grow rather than calling people out kind of thing. Um, but yeah. that's my last call. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I hate when people say something is unacceptable. If you say, as a fan, oh, this is unacceptable. That means that you're ready to move on to a different team, in my opinion. Right. Because that's your only choice. That's the only thing that you can't accept is you accept what's happening or you move on and become a fan of another team. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's it's stupid to say something is unacceptable because we say that and then nothing ever changes. So <laughs> yeah, there exactly. we go. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. So, all right. You know what's not unacceptable? You know, actually, it is unacceptable. It's unacceptable to not follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Beers yes. and Buckets Pod. And it's, it's unacceptable to not subscribe to our YouTube channel. And it's unacceptable to not like, rate, and leave a review and share this episode. And it's also unacceptable to not check out the other shows on the Basketball Podcast Network. So you should definitely go do that. So Do all of those things. Yeah, do all those things. It's unacceptable. You got to change it, okay? You hear me? You got to change it. <laughs> um, but yeah, check out all the all the shows that the Basketball really. Podcast Network has. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, share it, please. That'd be great. And yeah, this has been a super long but fun episode. And I can't wait to hear it in its entirety. And this has been the bottom line because Connor said so. You guys have a fantastic week. Peace. Peace.